You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. Thank you very much indeed for downloading. No Dan Killick this week, uh, but we enlisted the help of good friend of the show, Yesin George, top journalist and uh, yeah, long-time uh, collaborator of the show. He joins us and, of course, the chat is dominated by Wales's unexpected win uh, in San Juan and uh, we'll be dissecting that over the next hour or so. Uh, we've also got a chat with uh, Scott Otten, the Ospreys hooker, and of course, the sponsor of the show uh, with his company, So Coffee Trades. Really interesting and good to catch up with uh, with Scott about rugby, coffee, and uh, what to expect from the Ospreys next season. But as you can imagine, a lot of the chat is about uh, Wales versus Argentina. And a big thanks to Yestin for stepping in to do this. Uh, a little warning as well, uh, even though we don't venture into any expletives during the show, uh, we felt uh, it was necessary to finish the show with a super fairy animals song that does feature uh, quite a bit of quite a bit of swearing in fact one of the most amounts of swearing that's ever featured in any song ever uh, but we did feel it was necessary this week so if you are of a sensitive nature make sure you turn off just as we finish but thanks very much for listening uh, we really enjoyed doing this uh, doing this podcast this week and uh, yeah we look forward to chatting to you again soon Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast where Welsh rugby matters. If you love Welsh rugby, then this is the place for you. Coming up on this episode, we'll be reliving and analysing Wales's unexpected win over Argentina in San Juan. We'll be answering questions from our loyal listeners and we'll also catch up with Scott Othan to find out what life is like in the Ospreys dressing room. And of course, many thanks to Scott for his uh, sponsorship of the show with his coffee brand, So Coffee Trades. And uh, there's a brand new addition to the So Coffee range called the Power of Eight, which is a proper strong coffee. And it's not only strong, but it's smooth as well. Much like my esteemed co-host for this episode, Yestin George joins us. How are you, Yestin? That's a ridiculous introduction, Jed, <laughs> but I'm taking it. I'm it's, very well, thanks. It's, yeah, good to have you on. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's good to be talking about a Wales win as well, isn't it? Yeah, 
it was just um, it's so rare to have a to have the opportunity to just crow, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, optimistically about everything. Really, the, no no room for complaint in any way, shape, or form. I just don't think it was fantastic. Well, yeah, we're going to get uh, right into that uh, straight away. Any listeners who've tuned in across the course of the season will know the first part of the show is fact or fiction, which is where we debate a series of statements to get to the bottom of this week's big issues. And naturally, we're going to be concentrating on the Wales versus Argentina game uh, as part of that. So, yes, give us a give us a number one to five. Um, I'll go for three, please. Number three. Okay. Now, this is one that's been sent in um, via one of our listeners uh, via Twitter at Rugby Pod Awards. Not that we've picked up any awards, but it's nice to even be mentioned in the, the same breath. But the statement is this Adam Beard and Seb Davis are Wales' future second row combination. Fact or fiction? Fact, I think. Um, certainly, I, I'm, I'm still a little bit puzzled by. Um, Seb Davis playing at six, um, uh, although, you know, not that there were any indications that he wasn't capable of doing it yesterday. Um, he looked, you know, he looked very comfortable and assured and um, didn't, you know, uh, but, and, and quite low key in a way, which is probably a good, good thing. Um, very industrious. But um, yeah, Adam Beard, wow, what a revelation. Um, I, I honestly, didn't think I just you know I, he'd never I never thought of him as a player who could um, in, a, in a in a in a pack of eight who played well and with the substitutions as well he I would say he and Dylan Lewis are probably the best players on the park. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I have this habit on the podcast of making slightly unfair comparisons to, to young players and, and giving them big boots to fill, as I've done this season with Seb Davis, comparing him to a, to a young Alan Wynne-Jones. Um, and I think it's probably, I'd look to do the same with Adam Beard and Luke Charteris. You know, I think particularly the, the defending of the driving lineouts and the, the all-round bulk that he was able to provide around the field. You know, I think he's, he's like Charteris as well because he's ungainly. You know, he's so big that I don't think he looks tall and lanky, but there's nothing lanky about him. You know, he's so powerful. Uh, and I think, you know, Wales really noticed that. There was a lot of concerns pre-game that the front five was, was going to be lightweight, and it really didn't pan out that way. No, not at all. I mean, it, it, it seemed like they were really working well together as well in defence. Of that, if Argentina had got some, had some joy around, you know, the, the first phase from a ruck, you know, that the, the, if they'd managed to break the game line more, more, more often, they would have had a. I think they would have had some sense of they never got that any momentum at all, and I mean they people they were just doubling up all the time, making sure that no players were 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 getting no Argentinian players were getting through, and also just you know, it, it, with players of that they're callow, you know. There's mm. no point pretending otherwise. They're really they're not. You know, you, you've got this, all right, stereotype of the gnarly Argentinians, you know, and they're, they're, they they know their way around and, they, you know, they're battle-hardened playing in the Super 15 and all this kind of stuff. Um, it it just didn't transpire, did it? And and it looked like people like James Davis and Moriarty as, as, a, as a 
tackling team mm. rather than just individual tacklers. Yeah, which is what we've seen so well with that Welsh back row, you know, particularly Faletau and Warburton. You know, have done that for many years, and obviously Lydia and Warburton uh, for a, a certain period before that as well. Um, I think that was, yeah, that was definitely a really encouraging thing. Was the way that those kind of defensive pods were were working to to make it so so difficult for um, for Argentina. Just to finish on this uh, on this second row point, though, I mean, are we are we kind of conclusive now that that Seb Davis is a is a second row rather than a than a back row forward? Well, I think so, don't don't you? I mean, uh, with with also with a wealth of options in the back row, you know, the last thing you want isn't is another one cropping up. Yeah, I I think so. I, I part wondered whether it was just down to the fact that maybe they thought you know it was a, a bit too steep a test to throw Wayne right in, you know, being kind of very inexperienced player and. You know, Turnbull's only been out there for a for less amount of time, and and likewise, he's you know he's played pretty much all of his rugby in second row. So I don't know quite what it is, but they've they've obviously been keen to look at Davis at six and at eight at certain points. But yeah, he's out and out um, second row for me. So I'm going to go fact as well. I think these two uh, are, are going to be the future yeah, pairing. The two other things. Well, one was the the fact that um, Adam Beard lasted the distance so well. He'd still looked full of beans, you know, right up until the end. And yeah. you cannot fault him for the amount of draft. He, you know, he it wasn't as if he was taking a breather now and again. Um, and the other thing was the line-out was great, wasn't it? It was just brilliant. Yeah, and, I think and, it went really you know, well in, you know, de- defensively and uh, and as an attacking option as well. I was really impressed with that. Um, yeah, I think it was really, really encouraging. You mentioned there as well the... Uh, the breakdown, which was really the the key to the game, and that leads us on to uh, to statement number two. James Davis must start for Wales, even if everyone is fit. Now it's a little bit tongue in cheek after my statement last week that Ellis Jenkins uh, should start if everyone's fit, but God, we got more back row dilemmas. So what do you make of that? Davis must start, fact or fiction? Fiction, and uh, I think it's the first time in. God knows how long where you could say, okay, thanks, James, you know, sit this one out, Ellis Jenkins, you're in the team, and not think, oh, I wonder if they'll bring a certain kind of dynamism to a certain aspect of the game. Are we going to miss James Davis's, uh, you know, his his ability to find space in the wider channels and et cetera, et cetera. I just think... It, this smiles you, all round. You've got you've got a guy that Ellis Jenkins has been amazing, in, in, and I, and I'm one of the pe- I was one of the people that didn't like the commentator saying, "Oh, look at him! He looks to the man of bone." I hate yeah. that to the man of bone phrase because it, it just it, 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 it. But he has proved himself to be a player of international stature and more importantly, perhaps given the context of um, recent times, James Davis has proved himself to be unquestionably capable of playing international rugby now. So that question's gone. So it's answered. Well done, coaching team. You've got, you've finally got that one nailed. And so, yeah, you cause yourself another selectorial dilemma, but I, I genuinely think it wouldn't, I'd be happy to see either. It's one of those, you know, uh, I don't support either region. I don't have any allegiances mm. of that nature. 
and in the Duke of Wellington pub in Brighton last night, um, there were some scarlets um, in in, the, in attendance who who would not um, who didn't agree with me when I said you know, it'd be nice to see Ellis see how Ellis Jenkins goes next week. But you know that's that's I think that's fine, absolutely fine. I suppose that's the thing now is. Um... I, again, another thing I'm prone to doing is uh, is comparing rugby players to racehorses, and I would say it's it's kind of it's similar with these with these guys. You know, I think if you look, James Davis is perhaps the one who's had more exposure at, at top level, and you know, I think if you look at those those games against Leinster in particular, he wasn't able to necessarily impose himself in the way he'd like. Um, but then again, you know, Leinster is such a such a, an incredible side that. To a certain extent, that's forgivable. He's kind of like the racehorse that you know has got quality, can go toe to toe with the best, but has been beaten by a, uh, you know, by an absolute worldie. Um, and Jenkins is the one who kind of keeps winning, but you really want to see him up against the the absolute best. So, I suppose for me, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Jenkins in there next week um, as yet another step up. Absolutely, and then you go, uh, okay, so. Is the is the really awkward question Tipperico or James Davis? You know, I mean, yeah. I, do you know what? It's one of those that it's not. A, I don't even think it's worth debating at this stage. I think it's got no. to be right when we get into autumn. Who's playing the better rugby? Um, and you make that choice based on it. There. One thing I would be interested to get your opinion on. We obviously mentioned Seb Davis playing at six. Can you play the two of them? Can you play Jenkins and Davis as dual sevens? Yes, I think because I think that Jenkins can adapt. I can I can see him as a six. Yeah. Um, uh, in a way that I think he's more he's capable of being more of a six than Navidi is capable of being a seven. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. But the, again, Navidi's done sterling work at seven. So you know, it's yeah, it's uh, what's fantastic is that you don't have to. And again, Moriarty is not to be ignored either, and he had a great game yesterday. And uh, and that idea of a player who really kind of made his name by being so combative and, and breaking the game line. Um, we've had several of those down the decades, haven't we, where the first season they crashed through everybody yeah. with, with, um, with impunity and then have been found out or just haven't been quite as effective. And the thing is about Moriarty yesterday was that he, he, that's not, that's not what his game is all about, you know. And, and if we look at our noisy neighbours or, well, not my neighbours because I live in, well, both of us live in England, but the fact that they realise, you know, Vunipola's kind yeah. of declaration of health was almost like a, a, a you know was, I could hear church bells ringing in Brighton you know on that on the basis of that and the fact was that we don't have to rely on that kind of play it's just not the way um, Moriarty is is played yesterday or will play yes he's attritional yes he's competitive yes he's difficult to get round and yes he is a strong carrier but he showed great hands as well yeah so I just think you know you got uh, Falatau Moriarty Jenkins Davis Tipperick Warburton <laughs> you know it's phenomenal isn't it and Shingler yes no no that's it just uh, an embarrassment of riches. So yeah, I don't I don't know what what number we're up to now. Uh, 
I think I must be up to about 15 players who I think uh, would would be first choice for England now in in their back row. But yeah, that, so. that list is set to get longer. Right, let's have a look behind the scrum now, because uh, we're we're always uh, looking at this kind of number 10 dilemma. Um, so let's let's try this one. Patchell's performance signals the end of Bigger as the first choice 10. Fact or fiction? Uh, fact, but um, but with a caveat. Go on. Uh, well, just because I don't think it, it it didn't sort of wipe a big wipe bigger from the memory, but it just indicated that um, that you know what you're going to get from bigger. Is that that's one of the great terrible sporting cliche if yeah. uh, ever there was one. Whereas you're not as certain what you're going to get from Anscombe and Patchell, but they in it, what was nice about Patchell yesterday was he played what he saw in front of him, which is great, and that he, uh, he you know, he didn't force the game um, too much, and he and and the, you know they get everybody around them playing better. It's simple as that. Yeah, and I think that's the bit we've always been critical of is does he have a tendency to force it? And I think his the variety of his kicking yesterday, he knew when to go long, he knew when to put the high ball up, the little the little chips, the little grubbers, the things to keep the uh, the back three pinned back. I thought it was a really good and and of course his goal kicking. I thought it was a fantastic um, a fantastic performance from uh, from the boot and his you know his distribution is just so exciting. Yeah, couldn't agree more. He's. I mean, do you do you think do you think it's end of bigger then? No, I, I certainly don't. I I think what we do have now is, you know, I, I think the other exciting potentially what could be the end of bigger. Not that I think we're there yet. Is the the continued improvement of Jared Evans as well? Because you know he's another very instinctive player who takes the ball very flat, gets the outside backs working, and you know that could be something then that you you know you find yourself in a position where you go, right, we need, we need three uh, three outside halves to take to the World Cup. Patchell and Anscombe are among them, and they can both cover fullback. And that leaves the role for one out and out ten. Now, I think possibly the fact that Bigger is more of a, a steady, conservative, game-controlling kind of ten might edge him in there. But, you know, if, if Evans carries on the season... Uh, sorry, carries on next season the way he's finished this one, then it's going to be it's going to be hard to ignore him. So it's a great it's a great position to be in, but you know let's not forget the fact that that Dan Bigger has proven it time and time again at Test match level that he can compete and he's such an animal. And when you require that real defensive shift, you know he he will take he'll take his body to hell and back with it as well. So uh, yeah, I, I certainly don't think it's the end, but I do think we're in a position where. For me, Patchell is looking like he is. He has got the ability to do it at the highest level. And they will. Um, I, I used to like that, um, or like it from a point of view. of Seeing O'Gara and Humphreys play different games, coming on for um, when they, you know, for Ireland, they used to swap them in and out quite regularly, didn't they? Yeah, I always, I always thought David Humphreys deserved more of a chance as a starting 10 I thought he was a better player to be honest but um, yeah. you know I'm sure I'm sure many other people would disagree but yeah I know exactly what you mean the kind of the, the different roles and different ways that they, they go about the game is a uh, in fact even at the start of Gatlin's uh, tenure as coach he often would flick between Hook and Jones as to 
kind of depending on the game. You know, you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd want Hook if you wanted to play in more of an open game and often would, would bring Steve Owen to, to close the game out. So, you know, I certainly don't think we've seen the end of him, but I do think that, you know, that Patchell is starting to, to lay it down now and uh, and deserves a run at 10, I think. So would you say something like um, Patchell or Anscum and Bigger in your tw- in your 23? Yes, I would. Uh, I would, yeah. um, and I'm still potentially excited about playing a combination of Patchell and Askham as 10 and 15s. I'm just... I, I thought you were going to mention Matthew Morgan there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you, like we said last time, maybe, maybe we can sneak him on on the wing, and we can put yeah. Jordan Williams on the other wing, so uh, yeah. we have a complete Perfect. throw it, throw it around. Um, and one one final point on this, this is something that, uh, that Matt Armstrong on Twitter and, uh, and Gasman Roy both mentioned, was uh, Patchell did all of this with very little possession as well, which potentially could be a, a clinching factor, because when you don't have that much ball, you've got to be that much more clinical with it. So when you've got to take your chances and you've got to um, also not get caught in possession, and I think that's something else that he did very well. Yeah, that's a really good point because the, the, the idea of him being starved means that everybody's starting going, oh, he's going to try and throw a miracle ball, etc., etc., etc. You know, uh, I, I just, I just don't buy into this idea that we can't have that a 10 can't make any mistakes at all um, and that somebody who's slightly more conservative is better because he because he makes fewer mistakes I don't I just don't buy that you have to you have to roll the dice sometimes yeah I know I, I think you're absolutely right especially as we said the way that you know you can't just win test matches by uh, by kicking goals anymore you know you're going to need someone who can get the backs going and, and get a few uh, get a few tries on the board yeah Right then, let's look at the uh, the the victory as a whole because I think generally there's been a lot of uh, a lot of praise on social media, but there have been one or two who've questioned, "Are we getting carried away?" Uh, Danny Thomas is one such listener who suggested that on Facebook. Uh, so the statement for number four is: Wales's victory in Argentina will go down as one of Gatland's best fact or fiction. Fact. I I I just had that feeling. Partly summed up by the the, the really sort of uh, clinical and emotional um, way that Wales played yesterday. I, I don't mean that in the, that they were robotic. But yeah. They uh, there were no Rob Evans jumping up and down, pat slamming people in the back and pointing the finger at uh, at the opposition props as they were sort of rising from a collapse scrum or anything. There was none of the. England, Mike Brown rushes from 47 yards away. Yeah. Pat to Pat, Jamie George on the on the back, and all, it, it just seemed really, really controlled and very, very measured. And that just if 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 that was that, then maybe, and I'm not, I'm maybe I'm totally wrong about this. That 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 was an instruction to the players. Because they didn't want to see Argentina riled, or or to see their tempers increase, just in case that it provided the motivation for the Argentinian team. Maybe the flatness of the Argentinian team was something to do with the fact that 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 Wales didn't allow them that sort of opportunity to get emotional in the game. But whatever the result is, that 
you if you if you put a squad, whether it's the Lions or, or the Wales squad, in Gatlin's hands for a couple of weeks away from everything, they tend to perform. And it's been proved; it has been proven several times. That doesn't make it doesn't make him a popular coach, um, because some people don't, you know, ourselves included, find sometimes that pragmatism is a bit too much. Yeah. But but I mean. Yeah, it would be amazing to get a, a a victory with a with a team that is nowhere near full strength, really. Yeah, I think that's the thing is, you know, there's so many so many lions missing. You, perhaps we are in danger of getting a bit carried away of saying, you know, lions aren't going to get back in the side, but it is very very encouraging. It shows the strength in depth. I think to you know we, we were saying last week, sides don't go to Argentina and win very often, and to get that, you know, I think so convincingly uh, is a massive encouraging point I think you're absolutely right that what Gallon does is when he's got time with players he is able to galvanise them as a squad and and get them to win big games we've seen that in World Cups and Lions Tours and hopefully that bodes well for Japan next year but it is also worth saying that that was really poor from Argentina you know considering how well the Jaguars have played of late and you know the the abundance of talent in that side and the fact they're at home. I, uh, you know, I think they really kind of underestimated Wales yesterday. And uh, I think next week will be a really telling thing. Because if you're to win a series out there, that is, that's something really, really special, especially with a, uh, with an understrength side. Do you think, how do, <laughs> obviously sharing my doom laden prognosis for almost everything in the whole world. Well, how do you, what do you think, what was your instinct about, this time next week, I, you know, I really expect us to lose this series two now. So, um, but I, you know, I think they're going to have to go into that with a. I think it'll be a massive confidence boost. I think not many people fancied that front five against uh, the Argentinian tight forwards, and to come out so convincingly. Um, I think there was a bit of luck. I think it was lucky there wasn't that many scrummages, and when they did happen, I think we benefited from a few calls there. Um, but oh, do you know what? I, I don't think it's unthinkable now that the Wales could go out and win this. I think it'll be a lot closer. I, I think you knew from 50 minutes that Wales had won that game, um, and I do think it'll be a lot closer next week. But yeah, fuck it, let's go for a Wales win. I love that optimism. That's it, and it's not often you get it from me either. No, but, uh, exactly. But there we go. All right, let's. So that'll uh, be a 50 point reversal. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's uh, finish fact or fiction with this one. Again, time slightly in cheek for this one. The team in most need of summer signings is the Channel 4 rugby team, fact or fiction? Yeah, I've got an issue with shirts. Um, more than anything else, I, I was struck by the uh, inappropriate use of co- of cuffs on the shirts of um, Shane Williams and Ugo Monia, who'd obviously decided... Shane went, I... I've got this terrible shirt on, which he, I mean, it was an awful shirt. And then he, then to exacerbate the problem, he turned, turned the, the, the sleeve up just one notch, um, to reveal like a really horrible pattern. And then Ugo obviously went, I'm not having you, you serve me with this yeah. kind of weird, smart, casual thing that's going on. So I'm, I'm just going to, my pink shirt, I'm just going to undo the, the buttons so that they're loose. And I'm just, that makes me, that says its statement, and then 
And then uh, Fernandez Labe actually just went at you two losers. I'm not in none of this. And he had his buttons done up properly. And uh, and obviously was just not sharing the um, the casual nature of the smartness. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. What weird? The whole it, it it just encapsulated the general yeah. discomfort. Really, I think not that's it. Thing. I was gonna, I was going to say my main concerns probably wouldn't be uh, sartorial elegance, but more <laughs> yeah, they're just. It feels very. Everyone kind of looks like they're uncomfortable there, and uh, it, it doesn't feel a very natural environment at the moment. Um, so I think you know they're going to have to do a lot of work. I think to make it feel a lot, a lot better by the time the the Heineken Cup rolls around. Uh, I do wonder whether they'll end up sharing a lot of BT pundits in the way that uh, the Channel Five do with their with their coverage, uh, their kind of highlights of the Aviva Premiership. I wonder whether that will be the same thing um, kind of going into it, because at the moment it doesn't feel... Yeah, you're right, it's just it's just uncomfortable. Um, I did think, though, to be fair, the it felt a bit better in the in the commentary box. I think uh, Butler and Nugget went a, a bit better, and I quite liked having Ken Owens as the, as the, third, uh, as the third pundit in there. Yeah, Ken has um, applauded the referee at every penalty that Wales had. Yeah, <laughs> totally right. Totally right, scrummaging. It was like, really? Okay. Um, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Eddie's just a little bit madder than he was before. Um, but I think Martin Williams seems to be kind of settling in with that idea yeah. that he's allowed to, to uh, particularly the Scott Gibbs moment, that he <laughs> could... Um, that he can actually pull his leg. I think that takes maybe in a commentary position, it's quite difficult to think where does the bant come in. Yeah, I think they should. I think they should embrace Sometimes. that though. You know, they they should. And I did wonder actually, particularly that Scott Gibbs moment where there was a two-second wait, and I was like, is anyone going to pull him up on this? Because <laughs> I've always kind of felt this with Butler. It's like he's commentating. He's forgotten his readers. You know, he's. It feels like he's two players. Uh, you know, he's kind of looking down the list and, oh, who's the scrum half? Oh, God, who's that? And the, who's the inside centre? And then, you, you know, you've got the, the poetic French pronunciations and stuff. You know, I've, I don't know, I've, I've never been the biggest uh, Butler fan as a, as a lead commentator, but it, it, it didn't feel quite as forced in, in that regard as, as it did the week before. I'm just glad I didn't kill him when I nearly ran him off the road in Monmouth once when he was... <laughs> When I overtook a overtook a, a, a tractor with hay bales on it, and to to, to encounter the startled, enormous face of uh, Eddie Butler on a on a on a racing bike, which is quite a sight, to be honest. He's, he's a he's a big fella. Yeah, um, it's probably not akin it, to watching me on a racing bike, actually. Which uh, I, um, mouthing ex- an expletive of of certain horror as I just <laughs> narrowly. Avoided killing him, so um, yeah, I'm very grateful for that uh, he's still with us. Really, to be honest, that wouldn't have been a, my finest moment. No, think. let's let's. I mean, let's hope he's. Uh, let's hope he didn't have his readers on there, and he didn't catch your uh, your number plate, <laughs> and he'll track you down at some point. Yeah, you know, he'll he'll come and find you in the Duke of Wellington one day. I know. God, that was a fa- talk about finds. That was amazing. Uh, uh, I've been 14 years in Brighton looking for a pub that was kind of obviously there are people that most pubs will tolerate having some Welsh people in the corner drinking heavily and sighing. Um, uh, but the, the uh, to find to walk into a pub and they said uh, the the landlady knew how to 
something just as I said it, and I was just that never happens. Yeah. And, um, and then confessed to being um, uh, Brighton's leading Griff Reese fan, um, and a super furry animal fanatic, and a manic fan, and a Catatonia fan, and that she'd gone to Manic Millennium, oh. and, and that she'd, and that um, she didn't even mention Stereophonics, which was even better, and um, <laughs> and that she just. Uh, yeah, it was just I've, we've come home, and it was uh, it was fantastic. And she now goes, she goes away with the Scarlets, and just because she loves Wales and the you know and all that kind of stuff, so it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. A proper slice of uh, of Cool Cymru in uh, yeah in Duke uh, of Wellington, up at Gloucester Road, Gloucester Street. Yeah, anyway, not far from the station. Recommended for any uh, uh, exiled Welsh people in the uh, Sussex area, definitely. Like the sound of that a lot. Right, we'll uh, we'll be continuing uh, with the rugby chat very very shortly. Now, coming up, we'll be answering your questions and we'll be looking ahead to next week's second test against Argentina. But first, here's my chat with the Ospreys hooker and, of course, our sponsor, Scott Utton. Really, really pleased to welcome back on the show. It's our sponsor, our good pal, Scott Utton. How are you doing, Scott? Yeah, all good this end, mate. Yeah, just plugging along. How are you? Yeah, very good. Yeah, plugging along. I mean, we, uh, we've we said on the podcast the last couple of weeks, we're looking forward to uh, to a bit of a break because it's a bit of a commitment must be uh, must be a, a different level for you. It's been uh, it's been a hell of a season. You've been playing a lot of rugby as well, haven't you? Yeah, for me uh, personally, like it's a few more games under the belt and a bit more game time, and that, isn't it? I've been uh, involved in a bit more, you know, the last four weeks was uh, was nice to get to, to be honest, especially after a bit of a tricky season. Yeah, and I mean the last time I think the last time we had you on the podcast, you'd just come back from injury and. Uh, we spoke about the, the kind of the competition at the Ospreys, you know, obviously Sam Parry and, and Baldwin there and, you know, Hooker being a particularly strong area for them. But you've managed to get in a, a load of rugby. How pleased are you with, with your own personal end to the season? Yeah, um, it, it was starting to go well. Um, obviously, the main focus was as a hooker, the set piece was accurate and consistent and something I used to struggle with. Um, so it was a big focus for me, and I was pleased towards the end of the season where I ended up. And uh, yeah, I had a bit. Obviously, I had a bit of luck. You know, unfortunately for for the other boys, there was injuries. So obviously, they opened doors for people and such as myself. So that opened for me, you know. So it was a bit of luck, but as I said, it was it was main goal to get my set piece consistent, and I was happy where I ended up towards the end. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, you know, it showed in the uh, in the, the games you, you did feature, and actually picked up a, a fair amount of press about you know people saying uh, there could potentially have been a, a call up for Wales uh, along the line. Did you feel a little bit unlucky not to make the squad for the summer tour? Uh, not so much unlucky. You know, obviously everyone wants to represent the country and everyone wants to get that first cap and you know get their foot through the door. But you know, the main focus for me was was to play well for the Ospreys and whatever came from that came from that. You know, it's. You know, I'm not, I'm not upset or down about anything. I'm, I feel exactly the same, and hopefully one day that will happen for me. But you know, the focus is, you know, represent the Ospreys as best I can. And you mentioned it's been a, it's, it's been a bit of a strange season for the Ospreys. You know, we've been so used to them kind of flying the, flying the flag for, for Wales, and it must have been a, 
you know, certainly a disappointing start to the season. What's the mood in the dressing room like uh, now? You kind of reached the the end of uh, the end of this year. Um, it's, you know what the the mood in the camp hasn't been where as down as what people sort of would assume and what people have said and thought throughout the year. You know, we've always had a quite a healthy and quite a positive camp, uh, regardless of results. And you know, go, going towards the end of the season, it was you know we wanted to beat Dalston, we wanted to get to Champions Cup rugby, and we were you know there was devastation there when we didn't when we didn't do that. Um, so obviously, yeah, it was a bit gutted and a bit sour towards the end, but it is also that little bit of relief where boys can have a break and you know it's a regroup and you know go go away to their families, sort of sort out what they need to, you know, little businesses or housing, whatever they need to sort out and. Go in the pre-season, you know, 100 mile an hour cut in the next in the next two weeks, you know. And there's going to be a, a yeah fair fair amount of change over the summer as well. You've got some pretty high-profile signings coming into the Ospreys. Obviously, Alec Davis, Scott Williams, and George North. Uh, how much are you looking forward to to getting getting stuck in in training and, and playing with those guys? Yeah, awesome. You know, I, you know, I've thought I played with some some of those names, and you know, it'd be great for it'd be great for the Ospreys to have quality like that come into the team and. I'm looking forward to getting to know them really, and getting to know the boys, have a coffee, and then then see what they see what they can bring to the Ospreys. Is it um, is it kind of hard to gel when you're bringing in a number of new players like that, particularly in kind of in key positions, or is it just a case of of kind of getting out there and seeing how they go? Um, it's not really hard to gel. These boys are we're very welcome in the club, and I can imagine a lot of other clubs are exactly the same. And you know, if someone's signing for us, then obviously we want them to do well. We want them to feel like they're, they're at home. So, you know, we want to make their stay as easy as possible so then we can get the best out of them in training and games. Then. And obviously a new uh, a new boss for this season as well, so Alan Clark taking over full-time. What does what does he bring as a coach? He's very positive, you know. He's um, he's very good, he's very honest and, you know, and he's very straight, which is which is exactly what we need. And you know, we, it's sort of like the way he sees the game, and um, and he's just you know, he's a guy you can get on with. He's very approachable, and I think uh, well, obviously signing him for three years goes to show that. You know, we had some we had some decent results towards the end, but obviously not quite enough. Um, and I, yeah, we all seem to get on with him. So and everyone of the Ospreys seems to get on with him. Too, so it's, the last couple couple of months have been good and. You know, uh, just looking forward to the next season to see to see how how things go. You know. And what's the ambition for the Ospreys next season? What's the you know, what would kind of what would be a good season for you guys? Having had a bit of a strange one this season. Uh, I think you know people may disagree. Well, we got we were aimed we weren't aimed aim to win the league, and no matter how we did this season, it's uh, next season is new and seasons can be changed. You know, uh, from season to season, anything can happen. So obviously the the focus next year will be to win the league, get to the playoffs and win the league, and and hopefully get some silverware in the in the Challenge Cup. And where you see, you know, obviously, Cardiff Blues had a, f- a fantastic end to the season, picking up their picking up the Challenge Cup, and Scarlets made it to European semi final and and the final of the league as well. Are those kind of things that, as a as a fellow Welsh region, you know, you kind of you take notice of, or is it you always just trying to concentrate on your own game? Oh, you take notice of it. It doesn't matter anyone else. You, you know, if other teams are in success, you want that. You know, you try for them. And, you know, the Scarlet's have been on fire the last couple of years. And, and the, the Blues winning the cup, you know, fair play for them. They deserved it. And they, they played some really good rugby. And you can't, any any rugby, rugby spectator, the matter if you're involved in that, you can't deny that. Um, 
so yeah, you, you always want to thrive for for success and you always apply for silverware and winning games and if other teams are doing it, obviously there's a slight little bit of jealousy that you want that. So you're in the wrong you're in the wrong game if you don't, you know. Yeah. And obviously Scott, we couldn't have you on without uh, without talking about your business that uh, we're very proud to have as our sponsors. Uh, so how is how so coffee trades going at the moment? Yeah, it's going well, mate. Um, since the last time, we just trying to make sales all the time, trying to bring it forward with people, and you know, applying to being looked after, which is the main, you know, the main, the main aspect. Really, you know, loyalty is important for us. Um, introducing our new coffee, the Power of Eight, which is a, a hundred single origin, hundred percent robusta, which is you know, flying at the moment, and people are really enjoying the, the sort of strong coffee that doesn't have to be earthy and horrible. You know, it's something that. It's smooth and you can knock your socks off, but it's smooth and you don't have to have a pip enough left in your mouth. Um, we've got a few things coming up in July, linking up with a few people and two announcements of our own. Um, so we'll keep them hush at the moment. But there's, there's a few things coming and hopefully on our next chat then we can, we can chat about that further. It's going well. Yeah, it sounds all sounds very exciting and yeah, we'll look forward to, to getting our hands on, uh, on a few bags of Power of Eight. We'll look forward to trying that one and, uh, and likewise, as we always say, if the listeners want to get uh, get involved, they can do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk as well. Scott, it's been great having you on the Attacking Scrum. Really appreciate it. And, yeah, we look forward to chatting to you over the summer some more. Pleasure as always, mate. Cheers, mate. Right, time now for listeners' questions. This, as the name implies, is where we take questions from you guys. So if there's something you want us to cover, send us a tweet at Attacking Scrum. Uh, you can do that via Facebook uh, as well. Uh, you can like our Facebook page on there. And we've also got a Facebook group, which is simply called Wales Rugby Fans. So however you choose to get your questions in, send them over to us. Uh, right, we're going to continue talking TV for a bit now, actually. And this is a question that's been sent in by the fantastically named Lord Tiny Dong. Uh, and he says... Is uh, taking the Autumn Internationals to Sky the dumbest thing the Welsh Rugby Union has ever done? I'm still reflecting on that name, actually. <laughs> just, just, it's fantastic. Isn't it's it? funny, because when he started following me, I thought... You, is, I, that, is that one of your aliases? Cause it's not. It's a rant about, uh, rant about uh, TV. Because I feel like I'm wasting, my, wasting your time by just even saying it now well but, any um, any opportunity i'm happy to rant about uh i'm happy to rant about ty- uh, tv but to uh to use an alias of tiny dog i'm not sure would be uh would be my uh would be my call but uh yeah i mean look this is a this is another tricky one and i've said it before you know we all know that welsh rugby union is the part of is the part of the game that is making the most money and we need it to support the regions to support grassroots rugby so I hope that it's a good paycheck. My concern is that, as with the, um, as with the, the domestic rugby with the Pro 14, it's not going to be in the shop window. And by that I mean it's behind another paywall, and it, it just creates another difficult choice for fans. You know, if you want to follow all forms of Welsh rugby uh, next season, you're going to need Premier Sports, you're going to need Sky Sports for the Autumn Internationals. And you're going to need BT Sport for the for the European rugby. So that's the kind of thing that that does worry me. And it just you know you look at some of the the, the very kind of poor uh, viewing figures that we've had for some of the domestic rugby. I'm sure the Autumn Internationals will will of course attract will attract more. But 
again, it just it just begs the question: Is it going to be deterring a uh, you know the next generation of Welsh rugby fan, which is a you know which is a, a massive massive concern for me? Yeah, it's hard. Um, it's it's hard to argue against anything anything you said. Then I I, I just think of cricket and um, conversations I've had with um, you know my son who. I don't think he's ever seen a, a, a cricket ball bowled or, yeah. or a six hit in terrestrial TV anger. You know, uh, it, that's that's just quite weird, really, when you think of... It's been, what, 13 years now with no cricket on, I think, isn't it? 2000, yeah, 2005, 2005. yeah. yeah. And, um, and you just think that you... That, that's, it's, it's just... You can't imagine that that will be the case in rugby. It's it's just it's beyond um, it's it's it would be beyond my understanding that uh, you know we we that in ten years' time there would be no terrestrial coverage. It would be mad. I just I kept I keep on or I have kept on hoping that sort of SOC would suddenly yeah turn up with something really clever or. Um, and I'm hugely, as a first language speaker, I'm hugely in favour of SOC just, you know, uh, just cunningly taking TV audiences away from, um, you know. But I think they do a fantastic job on it as well. And, and you know, as someone who's not a Welsh language speaker, it's, you know, they, they offer a really good all-round service. And some of the sport that they've shown um, over the over the the past few few years is incredible you know to to not only be showing domestic welsh rugby but then also to offer uh you know they, they offered lions tour on there as well you know and I, I would love to think that's the case but again without getting too deep into politics i can only see that getting more and more marginalized um with you know with funding getting getting cut well, towards the, the station i i remember uh when the lions thing happened that it was characterized as um you know Poor little SLC turned up with uh, almost sort of pretending that to, with a like a cookie jar full of pennies yeah. and sort of said, "Oh, nobody will watch it. Don't worry, it'll be." And they almost took that on as a a freebie for them. You know, uh, it, it didn't. It was just another sale. And obviously, retrospectively, they probably thought that they actually, for once, <laughs> for once, the Welsh got one over on them. Yeah. Uh, in terms of rights, you know. All right, let's uh, let's stick with the aesthetic side of rugby, and uh, this is a, a question that's been sent in by Ricky Ford, and it simply says, "Is the driving line out killing the game?" Uh, no, uh, I don't think it is now because um, I think that it seems that, that teams have uh, combated it to uh, a large extent, and. Certainly, this weekend wasn't an example of uh, relentless driving just for the sake of winning penalties. Yeah, usually does happen more in grim, rain-sodden sort of conditions. Um, and but it was utterly comic watching Scotland. I saw the highlights of um, Scotland beating Canada, where they were—I think they were—they were marching in. <laughs> Uh, rolling malls from about 47 yards and you know the hooker scored a hat trick and it was just it was it was uh, yeah it was 
ludicrous, frankly. If you saw, if you saw that, if you'd never seen rugby before, and you said, "This, this is mad, this game." What? So that you just get you just get a big gang of people. Yeah. Yeah. You score. You score from a throw-in fifty yards out every time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I uh, there was there, there was definitely a phase. I think you hit the nail on the head there, where you said it was about um, moles for penalty sakes, and I think that yeah, the driving line out for penalty sakes, and that was definitely a frustration. I thought yesterday Wales Argentina was a good battle. You know, I thought there was there was sometimes where the sides were getting a good gain off it. There were other sides where actually it was quite, it was good to watch Wales defend those driving lineouts, and and I think we mentioned it earlier, you know, Adam Beard and the role that he did in that. So I don't know. I think it is, um, it's an interesting one, um, but it's yeah, I, I don't know. I think it can be a good contest um, at times, and I I just like to think that it's been refereed a bit better now that when it does stop, call it straight away. There was there was definitely a period in time where the attacking side was given way too much time to get the thing going. If it stopped, it stopped. And you say, use it once. And I think that's the, that's the thing I'd, I'd like to see it policed in that way. So you don't have an opportunity. You know, look, if someone's defended it successfully, great. That's it. Move on. Um, yeah. I, 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 there's definitely could, a period of frustration. They're also good at calling, they're much better at calling the sack now, aren't they, as well? So that idea of uh, when, uh, when a lineup suddenly goes down, you know, just as the mall's being formed because they've sacked the, 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 the ball carrier, that they, the referees seem to be quite sharp on that now and, and, and less prone to just blow and, blow and penalise just because that's what they thought they were, had to do, you know. Yeah, and two similar points which have been sent in by uh, by Ian Hall. Uh, one, when are Wales going to learn to counter ruck? And two, why do scrum halves take so long to distribute the ball? <laughs> oh God, it's horrible, isn't it? That, I hate that. Those close up shots. Those close up shots of Gareth Davis's little pop socks that he has <laughs> that he wears. That apparently um, haven't they got some sort of medical sort of significance or something? I don't know. But, I have no idea. Oh. God. I thought they might be odor eaters or something like that. Ah, oh, so uh, it's like um, they're like um, Scott Quinnell's arm guard, aren't they? Yeah, you get paid for wearing those, and um, I wonder whether Gareth Davis on a sponsorship deal for pop socks. Could be it. But um, but oh, it's it's just so uh, the one thing they should definitely penalise is the extension of the rack about seventeen feet further back. Just yeah, people joining that's just ludicrous from a from a purely from a from a um, you know from a fan's point of view a spectator's point of view and the box kickers were just not very good at it and never no, I, I think that's it like unless you are uh, unless you are Smith for the All Blacks or Murray for Ireland and you have it to an absolute T I just think a lot of the time just get the ball inside get the ball inside to to the outside half and get uh, and get him to make the decision especially like you say if you've got Two or three players extending the ruck, so you've gone that much further back. You need to kick it. Mm. You need to kick it an extra five yards anyway. I, I don't know. I, I, I just think it's so ugly, and it's often a waste of uh, a, you know, just gifting possession away. Yeah, and there are midfield options, obviously, with Wales as well, because Hadley's a you know a tidy kicker of the ball as well. So there are different things you can do, but I, I definitely, I'm definitely not a fan of that. Oh, you know, I love I love scrum halves literally getting. That's what makes rugby exciting. So when you see a nine diving in, getting the ball, and just just getting it out. Once you see a scrum half waving his 
um, frantically yeah. behind his back. You know that you're. That's like you know. Oh, uh, you just. I, my heart always sinks whenever I see I, that. I feel exactly the same thing, and and that's not what you want to see from Gareth Davis. I thought. I think we saw the best and the worst of Gareth Davis yesterday, as as you actually tend to with him. He's, he can be a very um, you know, he can have an up and down kind of game, but it always seems to be that he does the best when when he's got the ball in hand and he's and he's sniping or he's he, a bit of opportunism at the back of the line out to set up George North's try. Yeah, that's what I want to see Gareth Davis doing is these blistering runs. Um, I, I don't want to see him kicking the leather off the ball. Can I also, while you mentioned George North, that's worth. It. I think he he played. I'm. <laughs> He played really well yesterday. Yeah, he did. As if he's never played well before. But I just thought that there were some moments of him holding people up and um, allowing the forwards to to sort of get to the breakdown that helped uh, Wales win turnovers and slow the Argentinian ball. I thought just it wasn't so much the ball in hand. And, and I know that it's such a cliche. Oh, he did a lot of work away from, you know, it, he really, I think he is not, Tackling, but just getting in the way and defending and cl- cleaning things up. He did. He did. I thought he had a really good game. And yeah, I did. Josh Adams as well. Yeah, I thought both wingers were were great. And you're right. Both came off the flanks looking for work. And the other thing I liked, although it was given forwards, was uh, oh. that off. And it, I didn't see an angle that convinced me it was forward either. They showed one. They showed one replay from the angle we'd seen to start with, and then showed another one head on, which does nothing for a forward pass. Um, but that, yeah. you know, that, that they're away then down the other down the other side. So, um, and that was good to see. You know, I, I just think it's it's good to try and see. I say this a million times, but it's good to see North try and take players on rather than just flatten them. You know, um, so yeah, it was definitely encouraging on that front. And the, yeah, as far as rucking goes, I I I don't think I'm about a thousand years old and I've never seen Wales cancer rucking so I don't see I don't see that ever coming up anytime no. soon yeah you're right but I think it's a bit harsh to, to kind of criticise Wales at the breakdown yesterday because that's where they won the game for me um, do you think that do you think the ref was just a little bit friendly to the way that because I like the way that Scarlet's Scarlet's get get away Scarlet's are really attentive to what the referee wants to do yeah. so consequently they get penalised less often because they don't do the what England do, which is just moan and carp and try and have a and ha, try and have a, some sort of ar- ar- argument with the referee about who's right and wrong, they just back off, don't they? Well, as soon as the referee says back off, and Wales did that yesterday. But having prior to that, they were, they were occasionally flopping over the ball onto bodies and stuff. Do you think they? Do you think? How, did you see that? Yeah, or, I mean, look, I thought he was. Paranoid? I thought Brace was fairly consistent with the way he refed it, and yeah, he was giving he was giving warnings, and I, I don't know. Sometimes that can be frustrating because you go, hang on a minute, it's kind of like if you've slowed the ball down and then you're being told to move away, and you have, you've kind of done your job there. Um, but it was good to see it was good to see Wales play that kind of intelligent game at the breakdown. Uh, may yeah, maybe it's had fortuitous that. that do you but, think that do you think that'll kind of reappear next weekend? It almost feels like the sort of thing that a ref will go right, okay. Um, yeah, it could. I could I could see it being ref completely differently. I don't. To be honest, off the top of my head, I don't know who the referee is next week, but it's. I could see it being refereed differently. My my biggest concern at the moment is I just hate watching games where anything goes at the breakdown. You can just clear out at all means, as you see the All Blacks and Ireland and um, 
and uh, Leinster do. Leinster, just yeah. flying in off their feet, driving past the ball. And, uh, you know, and again, look, if they get away with it, they get away with it. But it's incredibly hard to stop. And it makes for very one-sided games of rugby. Whereas if you are able to slow the ball down, win turnovers and uh, and do stuff with the ball uh, with turnover possession, as you know, Wales did to a certain extent yesterday, but certainly the Scarlets do, then that makes for exciting kind of end-to-end rugby. So I'd rather see it that way. Yeah, agreed. And while we're uh, while we're uh, kind of, I know you've got a couple of subtle digs into, uh, or not so subtle digs into England in this episode, which I'm certainly not opposed to. Um, I just wanted to bring up a, a Twitter row that I had yesterday with uh, with Paul Morgan, who I think is the, the communications director at Premiership Rugby, where um, he seemed to be implying that that people should support the Northern Hemisphere sides, regardless that is some kind of duty to one's hemisphere, which. I just find a completely alien concept and I really struggle to find any scenario where I would want England to win. You know, even if Wales were going to win a six nations on points difference, you know, I'd, that would feel really, really odd to me to, to not want England to lose. I just, I find it completely bizarre that the hemisphere means anything to anyone. That you mean you don't have a Northern Hemisphere T-shirt like on a, a mock version of the North Face T-shirt. You know, <laughs> yeah, and I, I regret like, getting my I Heart Northern Hemisphere tattoo as well. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I've got some respect for Paul Morgan because, as far as I remember, he's a massive Fall fan. I seem to remember uh, that does change things. and I uh. thought that that does change things considerably. I was really surprised how many rugby writers were. Um, Mourning the death of Marky Smith. It was really surprising. It was it was almost unified. Um, Simon Thomas and and Paul Morgan and all all sorts. Um, probably not Peter Jackson, I imagine. But um, the yeah, I mean, it's I, look. I've you know I've lived here donkey. I've lived here longer than I've lived in Wales. So I'm hardly. I mean, you know, I've I've been and I I have very many friends and relatives who are English and I, I wish them no harm <laughs> um, but oh come on it's been centuries it's like the British Empire I, I just cannot stand even even listen to a, a really really good f- football podcast that talks very articulately about issues surrounding football and even they could they scrambling around in the dirt looking for a reason why they couldn't. They they could understand why people didn't support England, but they couldn't. They couldn't lay that. They couldn't mention that as one of the reasons. They they mentioned all sorts of yeah. things about club versus country or Liverpool and the social, you know, and, blah, 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 and the media concentration in London and rah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. But they nobody mentioned the fact that come on, you know, it's it's just implausible, and I don't. If if you're still trotting that one out, then you don't understand. You just don't understand. Furthermore, as well, I find it really strange. You know, when, when Wales went on that run in the in the Euros, like I, I couldn't give a toss whether whether England fans were were supporting us or not. You know, it's not about them. It's about it's about you as a Wales fan. And I, I find it exactly the same with rugby. It's like. Well, you know, I I don't care what neutrals are supporting us, really. It would be great to think that neutrals are supporting us because we're playing wonderful, free-flowing rugby and, you know, that we've become everyone's second team for that reason. But I certainly have no interest in England, Ireland, 
French fans, whoever, supporting us out of some duty to the hemisphere. It just may, it means nothing. It means nothing to me. And again, like I, I have no problem. You know, I've got no interest in seeing the Northern Hemisphere do well unless it benefits Wales. Do you know what I mean? If the Six Nations is great and, and Wales become a better side because it's that much more competitive, fine. But as an armchair rugby fan, don't expect me to sit there and support England ever. I love that. <laughs> I love that. That's emphatic. I feel like I feel like that's about as uh, as good a bombastic note to uh, to end on, really. So uh, we'll. Um, Next week, of course, we'll we'll be back again, and we'll be chatting about the second test, and it'll actually be our be our last of the season. But uh, over the summer, we will be going to record some new specials with some really interesting characters. Um, don't want to say too many too many names at this stage for fear of jinxing it, but uh, we'll hopefully also have some really detailed previews uh, of each of the regions and chat to some of the players and the coaches from each of those sides. So make sure you uh, you do stay tuned over there. Over the summer, we will be having a bit of a, a break, but we'll be back with some uh, after after the pre-season. And if you've enjoyed the show, leave us a review. Get in touch with us on Twitter at Attacking Scrum, on Facebook and via our Facebook group, Wales Rugby Fans. And thanks again to everyone who sent in their questions. And thank you, Yestin, for uh, for joining us. It, it feels like we should uh, we should close the show with some super furry animals, really, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I think um, the only there's only one song, though, isn't there, really? And, uh, yeah, I think we all know which one that one is. I, th- I think so. Let's go for that for a nice big middle finger to the hemisphere. Absolutely. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Podcast Network.